Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Let me explain something to you. I'm not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude, so that's what you call me, you know? That or uh, is dudeness or a duder or el duderino if you're not into the whole brevity thing. Good evening and welcome to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's movie, The Big Lebowski. Beware, spoilers. Broadcasting to you from my basement, my name is Don. To my right, we have our comic book guy, John. Hello. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Fuck you, Donnie. <laughs> Too soon? No, I like it. That that was that was spot on. Big Lebowski was released on January eighteenth, nineteen ninety eight. That's where it premiered for Sundance. It didn't uh, get released into the uh, theaters until March sixth, nineteen ninety eight, and didn't uh, get released in the UK until April twenty fourth, nineteen ninety eight. This was directed by Joel Cohen. Written by Ethan and Joel Cohen, produced by Ethan Cohen, and it stars Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, Juliana Moore, Steve Buscemi, and a wonderful performance by John Turturro. It did $46.7 million at the box office and has become a huge movie with a big following. It's even spawned a religion. I know. What, what's the name of that religion? The Church of the Latter-day Dudes. Roger Ebert first gave this movie three stars, but later on he ended up revising it to four stars, and it's on his list of uh, 25 most favorite movies. Yep. Yeah. Yep. This is even, even spawned a uh, convention. Uh, was it the Lebowski Fest? Something like that. That now tours? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. They, uh, <clears throat> they have uh, cosplay costumes who's can be, uh, you know, best dressed, either Lebowski or anybody. The uh, most dudist. Yeah, most I just dudist. I just watched the uh, the documentary that they made at one of these Lebowski fests. Uh, I believe it's called The Achievers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on Prime right now for anybody who wants to watch it. Uh, they have, like, people take just little bits from the movie and make costumes out of it. Like, there's a one line about camel fuckers, so some people actually came dressed as camel fuckers. That's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. Uh, have, had you seen this? This is, I think, the second time I'd ever seen it. And you've seen it, of course. Yeah, I've Ken. seen it a couple of times. I'm a big yeah. fan of the Coen brothers. Yeah, so am I. I really enjoy the Coen brothers. Yeah. The yeah. first time I saw this was only like a year ago. Really? Yeah. No kidding. So more of a recent viewing then. Yeah, I never really knew much about it. So because I, I liked, you know, Old Brother, Where Art Thou? And uh, some of the other Coen brothers movies and decided, I'll give this one a try. And I'll, I'll give you some of my comments later, but uh, you know, it's one of those movies I think that you watch the first time and you're like, you're watching it trying to understand the story and trying to follow along, and you really don't catch some of the finer moments in the movie. The second time through is so much better because then you're listening to the lines and watching for some of the comedic elements. 
Uh, so I enjoyed it thoroughly so much more the second time than I did the first time. Yeah. This is one of those movies that gets better and better every time you watch it. Mm -hmm. There's more and more things that you're going to pick up. Uh, the sayings, the inside jokes, all of that stuff. Yeah. One of the strengths that I believe that the Combe brothers have in telling their stories is their characters are just so uniquely distinct and our characters are so rich and, and interesting that they are, uh, brought forth in a almost completely in such a short period of time. And uh, the dude, awesome character that is, you know, effortlessly represented by Jeff Bridges. Donnie, done by John Goodman. Beautiful representation. Well, that's Walter. Walter's John Goodman. Yeah, 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 that's right. So those, those two characters are just like, oh, so briefly put together so thoroughly so completely in such a short period of time yeah well let me ask you to this you both are more familiar with uh, the coen brothers movies uh this movie a lot of the characters are based off of people they actually knew mm-hmm. like the dude is based off of a guy i believe his name is jeff dowd um do they do that in a lot of their movies based it off of people they actually know and stories they've actually heard it mm-hmm. is it is commonplace for them to uh tinker with scripts and so they write until they reach an impasse and then they set it aside and they work on a different project and they are frequently inspired with little nuggets or tidbits in the stories from their real life personal experiences. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. <clears throat> I think my favorite Cohen brother movie is Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Hands down. Fargo was great and Lebowski is definitely up there. Well, we can sure. hope that that one's in the helmet. Which one? Uh, oh Brother Where Art Thou? Did you just tip your hat? No. I think you just tipped your hat. No, I don't think so. I said we could hope. No. I think it's in the helmet now. Would I pick a movie that you like? Yeah. I, f- fuck, I hope so, dude. After Flash Gordon, but we're not going to talk about that. They have a lot of really solid movies. True Grit, Raising Arizona. I really enjoyed Miller's Crossing. Fargo, completely wonderful. Yeah. Never seen Fargo. That's one movie I need to see. That is another character strong movie. That With Steve that, Buscemi in it. Ken put this movie into the hat. Uh, why? Because it's a Coen Brothers movie, and I hadn't seen it in a little while. I love it. Yeah, so we took a little trip down memory lane. Due to mistaken identity, a burnout slacker bowler with a urine-soaked rug is drawn into a kidnapping ransom scheme gone wrong. Wacky hijinks ensue involving a eclectic cast of characters. All right, so uh, yeah, let's jump right to it. Now, the one thing I want to bring up is that this movie, if you go by the numbers, they actually say the F-bomb 292 times. Someone actually counted it for this movie. I want to know, with Don's foul mouth, if he's going to break that record during this podcast. (laughs) Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Um, I didn't really notice the swearing of the F-bombs all that prevalently. Well, neither did I, but I think I'm immune to it. I think every other word I hear is fuck. So yeah, they say dude 160 times, but they say fuck 100 or 292 times. I, I think part of that's just because Donnie and dude, that's just part of their vernacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, Don, Wal- and Walter's a big fan of it too. Yeah, a message to Don's father: Please put on your earmuffs so you can't hear all of, you know, Don's profanity. Uh, they're trying to break the record, Pop. I don't know what to tell you. All right, so let's jump into it. 
1991, Los Angeles middle-aged bachelor Jeffrey the Dude Lebowski is assaulted in his home by two enforcers for porn king Jackie Treehorn. They demand money owed Treehorn by the wife of a different Jeffrey Lebowski. Eventually, the goons realize they have the wrong man and leave, but not before one urinates on the dude's favorite rug. On the advice of his bowling partners, Walter and Donnie, the dude visits the other Lebowski, a.k.a. the Big Lebowski, a wealthy paraplegic philanthropist and demands compensation for damage to his rug. The Big Lebowski refuses the dude's demand. On leaving, the dude steals a replacement rug from Lebowski's mansion. He also meets Bunny, Lebowski's young trophy wife. He notices Bunny's toes painted with green nail polish. This opening of the movie had one of my favorite scenes of the entire movie. Which is? Which is when they first grab him and shove his head in the toilet. Oh, yeah. Here's the fucking money, shithead! Oh, it's... Uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. Oh. Just That just sets up right there the comedic element and getting to know a little bit about our main character, the dude. Totally. And, and they come in and they start saying, where's the money? But Lebowski, where's the money? And this guy lives in a shithole, right? And it takes the ruffians a, a minute or two to figure out, wait a minute, this isn't the right guy. And plus you have the dude telling him this whole time, you know, that's not me. And then he sits down and puts his sunglasses on as he's sitting on the toilet. That's classic. Dude. I, I don't think I could react that way if someone just shoved my head in a toilet. I could be that calm. <laughs> well... He's probably stoned. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, Lebowski is quite the stoner and uh, white Russian drinking. Just deadbeat. He's, he's the dude. Yeah. You get the feeling, though, that this is a man who not only is kind of a slacker, uh, but that he's hard up for money because the scene in the beginning with the grocery store, I don't know, did you catch that he wrote a check, but he dated it a year ahead? I didn't know that it was a later date. I didn't yeah, because the speech that was being given by George Bush in the background was given in 1990. He dated the check 1991. Well, it's set in 91. Was it? Yeah. Well, what, I, maybe I the speech is, yeah. No, okay. What I took mm -hmm. away from it was he was writing a check for 69 cents. It's, that's exactly what I thought, too. Yeah. That was hilarious. And then he comes walking into his home and does his <laughs> oh, thing and and, and the, the mustache has the white of the half and half yeah so because mm -hmm. previous scene he was smelling it but now he's at the cash register <laughs> so he drank some of it yeah so we're introduced to lebowski and then uh we go to we find out that Le, lebowski loves bowling right that's that's what the dude does he he bowls so now we're at a bowling alley and we meet walter and donnie for the first time for a movie about you know a, this the dude who loves bowling, you never see him bowl in the movie except for one scene that even goes through the motions of bowling. He's never bowling in the movie. And you know, I never put that together. Uh, I we see Donnie bowling. Mm -hmm. Do we see Walter bowling? You see Walter bowling, but we never see the dude bowling. The dude, only no. time the dude the dude goes through the motions of bowling is when he's teaching Maude to bowl in the dream. Interesting. Mm -hmm. do, uh, do you remember what the name of the dream was? Gutter balls. Gutter balls. <laughs> gutter balls. Yeah, and that's after uh, he gets drugged at Treehorn's yeah. place. We'll right? get to that. Yeah. <clears throat> right. So my question is, when the bad guys are leaving, one of the bad guys stops and pees on his rug. Why? 
Why do you pee on somebody's rug? Probably because you can at that moment. Just being a dick. Normally you would say because it's in the script that way. Well, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, that's definitely how they wrote it. And yeah. That's, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, the eclectic nature of people. Like, you know, at the bowling alley, when, when Donnie pulls out a gun over a bowling argument. Yeah. I mean, it's, this, this story is set in a very uh, eclectic way, I guess. Yeah. Now, what's that line he says? It, it makes the room? Is that what they it really saying? It ties the room together. It really ties the room together. Someone pees on the rug. Can't you just clean the rug? Or? Well, well, that's what, that's what when they go to, when he's bowling with Walter, that's what Walter's saying. He says, uh, he keeps asking him about, uh, you know, the rug and the dude is pissed. Right. And yeah. he's all, who, who am I going to complain to? When, uh, was he call him the Chinaman? The Chinaman. Yeah. The Chinaman peed on my rug. Right. And, um, so, uh, Walter talks him into going to get compensation for it because, you know, Walter's that guy. He went from zero to 60 at the drop of a hat. Wore those, uh, special glasses that I think are what for gun ranges. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, talking about Vietnam all the time. Always bringing up Vietnam. And I love how the dude would say, Walter, that has nothing to do with Vietnam. Yeah. And then Donnie was always trying to pipe in a little bit of, hey, what's going on kind of things. And we'd always get the... He peed on the dude's rug. Donnie, you're out of your element. I mean, that's... <laughs> Donnie never got any respect in this movie. No. But he was a good man and a good bowler. Yeah. Some of those camera shots, too, they were pretty fun to watch going down the bowling lane. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, they, and that's another thing about the Cone brothers is that they emphasize alternative camera shots. They, they like wide angles. They like uh, unusual or unique camera shots that um, make you, uh, I don't know, I guess more committed to the story. It's like, huh, look at that. Yeah. So the dude goes to Lebowski's to um, the big Lebowski, the big Lebowski to get compensation. Uh, what do you think of that whole interaction? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I thought it was interesting, and maybe I didn't catch it the first time. That's who the movie's named after is not named after the dude. Correct. It's named after the bad guy, the big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting that they worked it kind of that way, um, but. I thought, okay, well, here's our big bad, here's our big evil guy. Well, he's... Because he's just a jerk. He's the whole reason in the first place. But what made that whole scene really worthwhile is Brant's character, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. He was such a straight man, but had a comedic element to him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Throughout the whole movie, I just thought it was terrific. Yeah. So Lebowski pretty much tells the dude to fuck off, right? And he says, you're, mm-hmm. you're a bum. Get a job, the, hippie. The bum's lost, and he leaves. And the dude is so cool about it, and just so he just finally says, he's obviously the big Lebowski isn't listening to him, or the dude is having trouble putting into words what he wants, which, you know, is the dude. And um, so he tells him to leave. The big Lebowski tells him to leave, and he's all right. He leaves, and... Uh, he tells, not Brant, who's he tell? He, like the guy who walks him out? Well, as he's walking out, he tells Brant, yeah, he told me to Brandt. take whatever carpet I wanted, which oh, he lies. It was Brant. Yeah, he, said that. he does that. And so yeah, the next yeah. thing you see him carrying right. this big mm-hmm. carpet as he passes by Bunny. Yeah, played by Tara Reed. Yes. Yeah. And we get to see the green toenails. And then they make it a point to show us that uh, she is painting her toenails green. What do they call that, John? foreshadowing very good sir very good very good you have taught me well thank you 
Days later, the dude learns that Bunny has been kidnapped. The Big Lebowski hires him to deliver the ransom money and learn if the kidnappers are the same thugs who desecrated his rug. The dude suggests a theory to Walter and Donnie that Bunny staged her own kidnapping to steal a ransom money and pay off her debts. Walter is immediately convinced of that theory. That night, a different pair of thugs accost the dude and take his replacement rug. The kidnappers arrange a meeting to collect the ransom, still convinced that Bunny only kidnapped herself. Walter concocts a scheme to keep the ransom money by substituting a fake briefcase full of his laundry. To his horror, the dude watches as Walter gives the kidnappers the fake briefcase. The dude later finds his car stolen where he left the real briefcase inside. So I love how out of nowhere he's um, he's laying on his new replacement rug. And do you know, do you notice what he's listening to in his Walkman? No, I did not catch that. He's listening to bowling. He's listening oh, to right, someone's right. Yes. perfect game. Yes. So he hears yes. the ball roll down the lane into the and he's smoking a joint and he's in absolute heaven, you know. And and that that describes the dude to a T. I mean, that's what the dude wants to be doing. Uh, but then uh, Juliana Moore's character, Maude, and her two dudes show up. and Well, we don't see Maude yet. She's she there. Over she's him. the one that hits him. Yeah. I thought oh, she, she stood yeah. over him. Oh, I missed that. And then the next thing we see is the dude. Now it's music. It's no longer the bowling. And he's laying on the ground, and there's no rug. Was now, this before now, or after they tried to do the, the exchange the money with the... This is right before. Okay. So now he's into his hallucination, and he's flying over the city of Los Angeles. Right. And then he sees off in the distance on a flying carpet. Before even that, Lebowski calls him and tells him to come over. Which I thought was so interesting that, you know, Lebowski, you know, the dude goes over and everything's so calm. He just takes the job. No problem. No questions asked. No big deal. Well, the later goes on and tells his friends she probably kidnapped herself. Well, no, he uh, he says that first. Does he? Yeah, he, he says that before he goes uh lebowski the big lebowski hires uh the dude to go do the drop do the drop right with that big motorola phone that keeps ringing yeah and and i love the scene where lebowski asks him to do it he uh he's sitting by the fire he's uh just i guess he's been crying he you Mm -hmm. know and the dude sits down and he again the dude is just so nonchalant about everything right so he asks lebowski if he can smoke a j and he does just because he can and then uh lebowski doesn't even tell him what's going on or why he's there he just kind of uh monologues i guess and then brant tells him you know bunny's been kidnapped we want you to do the the drop how much does he get for it 20 grand he got 20 grand right yeah he'll get 20 grand to bring them a million dollars yeah and that's what he did and brant even says you have to go alone that's really important and so <laughs> what does uh the dude do naturally picks up walter <laughs> who comes up with this uh the scheme to double cross the kidnappers he gives them uh, a briefcase full of his underwear his yeah. dirty underwear and he's all it's the weight dude then the phone rings because he uh the kidnappers are supposed to sorry call the dude and uh he says we and then immediately uh he knows he fucked up and uh they hang up and he starts tripping out thinking oh my god they're gonna kill this poor woman and walter the whole time is like we're fine we're fine. They'll call back. You know, they do. She kidnapped herself. Yeah. And he keeps saying, he keeps telling the dude that, and the dude's like, I don't know that for a fact, Walter. So, yeah. Well, the interesting thing is then they call back and they tell him to go to the bridge and they tell him to throw the money out of the car 
over the bridge. Did you read about the filming issues with this one scene? Mm-mm. So I guess the the Cohen brothers wanted them to throw the little suitcase out the window and arc it over the bridge, but John Goodman couldn't get it right. So I guess what they did was they had someone off to the side of the bridge throw the bag back to the car to arc it up and be caught by the car, and then they re- they ran it in reverse. So that scene's actually run in reverse. Awesome. To get the throw right. Clever. So one yeah. of your little filming techniques. Yeah. Uh, we've reversed film a bunch of times. Oh, and after the drop-off goes bad, what do they do? They go back to the bowling alley. Everything, of course. Everything ends up with them going back uh, to the bowling alley. Let's go bowling. Uh, out of all the bowling alley scenes, which one was your favorite? The one where they told Donnie, or Walter told Donnie to fuck off. That's every single one of them. I don't know. What did you, is this, uh, when they go back, is that where we meet Jesus? Maybe. Yeah. What did you think of Jesus? Was that one of your favorite scenes? Or we meet Jesus character? right before the drop-off, but essentially, yeah. yeah. And they're, they're playing a Spanish version of Hotel California. That's what I yeah. thought was interesting. I did not catch that. I just read about that because they introduce you know, the dude's nemesis, and of course the dude doesn't like the eagles, and they're playing you know, the eagles in the background but in Spanish. Yeah. So I thought that was clever. Yeah. Um, I could tell, you know, as soon as the song starts, I thought, I know this song. Why do I know this song? And then as it progressed, I'm like, oh, it's Hotel California. <laughs> I fucking hate that song. And who's uh, who plays Jesus? John Turturro. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So uh, there is a, uh, they're in a bowling league and uh, the dude, Walter and Donnie are on a team and their nemesis or the other good bowlers uh, team is led by Jesus. They're about to face off and have a match because at the, bowling out or the game before that was the one where the guy stepped over the line yes and then you know and walter pulled a gun on him he pulls a gun on him and then at the very end of that whole scene uh, he puts the gun away uh they mark it a zero in an attempt to like appear like he's saying he's sorry he just says it's it's a league game Smokey." you know and he's putting the gun away and and the dude the whole time is like walter walter what are you doing walter they're calling the cops walter you know why does the dude put up with it well that's what's funny is then they get to uh the scene with jesus and what does jesus say to walter he basically says you bring out your gun i fuck you with it i fuck you in the ass yeah yeah that's what he says there's a lot in this movie if you watch it it's a lot of threats to people's asses yeah i know did you catch that ken I did not catch the ass part, no. Yeah, there's a lot of ass rapery going on in this this movie. Not actual ass well, threat, rapery. Well, threats like, of it. Threats of it, yeah. It's a curious point that there is as much profanity as it is. It was to the detriment to some movie critics. Some movie critics were thinking, well, wait a minute, Fargo, they got best original screenplay, and now they fill in this with just a bunch of swearing? Yeah. It was a criticism with several critics. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, lucky for us and the world that the cones don't care. Mm -hmm. This was, I didn't care. It didn't bother me. It didn't take me on the movie. And a lot of it made me laugh because it's Mm -hmm. funny and it's the way it's delivered. Mm -hmm. And and, and it's just part of their characters. It's part of their, yes, absolutely. 100%. And and in the end, the dude and Walter, they're buddies. Yeah. Yeah. But for all the shit that Walter gets the dude into. Oh my gosh. I mean, why hang out with the guy? Don't, don't we all have a friend that's kind of like like Walter. I mean, Ken, you and me have Don. Shut the fuck up, Don. 
I like this button. <laughs> As I say, Don is our Walter. <laughs> my, my buddy at work said uh, that you should have had the button, and every time I talked. See, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, see. So the kidnappers have a uh, briefcase full of... Uh, dirty underwear. Dirty underwear, and... They go back to the bowling. They go back to the bowling alley, and then... Um, the dude is kind of... He's he's still pretty mellow, but he's a little bit freaking out that they've just screwed the pooch on this whole thing. Yeah. And his little Motorola box phone that he's carrying around is ringing off the hook. One, you know, obviously from the big Lebowski, wanting to know what's going on, or you screwed the pooch on this. And his car gets stolen. And then we go out to the parking lot and the dude's car is gone. Right. So then uh, the cops come to Lebowski's house because he's reporting uh, his car being stolen. And then he says something about the rug. <laughs> and then the phone rings and they say, oh, we found uh, oh, we the, found your car. The answering machine. Yeah. And so one of the cops goes, well, that case solved itself. You know, and so, but still the outstanding rug. <laughs> The big Lebowski's daughter, Maud, calls the dude, explaining that her people took the replacement rug and inviting him to visit her. She plays a video that reveals Bunny as one of Treehorn's actresses. Maud agrees with the dude's theory that Bunny staged her own abduction and asks the dudes for the dude's help. To recover the ransom money that her father withdrew from the family's personal foundation, later the big Lebowski angrily confronts the dude for failing to deliver the ransom to the kidnappers. Showing him a severed toe with what? With green nail polish. Presumably bunnies. Three German nihilists threaten the dude in his apartment. They identify themselves as the kidnappers, but Maud says they are bunnies' friends. The dude's car is recovered by police, but the briefcase is missing. Inside the car, the dude finds the homework of a high school student named Larry Sellers. Walter and the dude confront Larry at his home at his family's home but when he is unresponsive walter uses a crowbar to wreck a new sports car that he believes is larry's the car's actual owner proceeds to wreck the dude's car in retaliation that was a hilarious moment oh it really was and you know the first time i saw it as soon as he went out and started banging on the car and started beating it up i was thinking to myself i bet you that's not even the kid's car i thought the same thing too yeah, yeah, watching the kid just stand there, stoic, motionless, did you know, emotionless. Did you know that that whole scene with the homework assignment and the car being stolen is based off of a true story? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the guy that the, the Walter is based off of, his name is John Milius. Uh, he is, I believe, a director friend or writer and director friend of the Coen brothers, he told them the story of one time his car was stolen and a homework assignment. It was actually a math book where the homework assignment was found in it. And they were able to track it down to this kid's house where they went into the kid's house. And in the living room was a, uh, I think the father or the mother, I think it was a mother on a hospital gurney right in the living room, kind of like the iron lung scene. Yeah. Uh, now at the uh, achiever that, Little Lebowski Urban Achiever. Yes. On that documentary, The Achievers, they went and found that kid and they brought him to the festival and put the two of them on stage, that director guy, John Milius, and this kid on stage so they could have an interaction. No way. Yeah, they, it was funny. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite scenes is when uh, uh, we cut from somewhere, probably the bowling alley, and we cut to uh, the dude's 
uh, bathroom and he's got all these candles lit. He's got his Walkman on. Uh, he's smoking a joint. He's getting in the zone. He's getting in his zone. And then all of a sudden, uh, the Nihilists show up and he's just like, Hey man, this is a private residence. I mean, he doesn't get out of the bathtub. He doesn't do it. He's just so c- kind of calm about it. Nonchalant. Yeah. And so the Nihilists come in and they come in with a ferret. And what is they, they called it a marmot? A marmot? Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. And then he picks it up and they throw the ferret into the bathtub. The The sounds that Jeff Bridges makes <laughs> it's during one, this uh, scene is absolutely hilarious. It's one of two times that I recall he freaks out like that with the high-pitched scream. Yeah. It, it, which it, is the second. The other one is when he drops the joint into his lap. Yep. And crashes the car. Which, again, absolutely hysterical. I loved... And I caught it right away that Flea was one of the Nihilists. Oh, Did yeah. you catch that from yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers? Yeah. And, and There's the, two musicians in this movie. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, and the leader of the Nihilists is that Peter Steinmeier guy. He's Starmore. In Starmore. Storm, Storm, he's been in Storm a Man. lot of things. He's been in everything. He's Michael Bay's favorite guy. He was um, in Const- or Constantine the movie. He played Lucifer. Lucifer in that. Yeah. He was in that... Uh, a breakout movie or TV show, what was it called? Where they try to escape from prison? Prison Break. Oh, he was in Prison he Break? He was in Prison Break. I never watched it. Yeah, he's the leader of the Nihilists. Yeah. But that, that scene had Just me absolutely rolling. Throwing the ferret in the bathtub. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. I knew that they were bringing it for a reason. Yeah. And then the, the one who doesn't talk much walks out, starts smashing shit, and he's just... Keeps chilling yeah. in his bathtub. The dude is brought before Jackie Treehorn, who drugs the dude's white Russian cocktail. While unconscious, the dude dreams about storing in, with Maude in a treehorn film about bowling. Awakening in police custody, he is assaulted by the Malibu police chief and thrown out of Malibu. After being kicked out of his cab uh, for sharing his hate for the Eagles, the dude is left standing in the street. Unbeknownst to him, Bunny speeds by in a convertible. The camera zooms to reveal that she still has all of her toes. The removed toe is revealed to actually belong to a female acquaintance of the Nihilists. We have got to talk about the dream sequence. Gutterballs. That that whole sequence, the fact that they they took little ideas from throughout the movie and worked it into this, you know, the dude creating his own version of the porn movie. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought it was just amazing. And the look on Jeff Bridges' face as he's coming into the camera, Mm. that sheer, pure Uh, joy. joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's wearing the same outfit that Carl... Hungus? Hungus, Hugis, whatever his name is. And he's got that walk of his. Yeah. Oh, it's just amazing. Uh, And then he gets bowled down the lane, and he's kind of floating down, and then he... They turn him around and he's flying under all these girls' legs and then he turns back around and he goes into the pins and it was very dude-like because mm-hmm. everything is bowling with this guy. Well, it was gutter balls. Yeah, well, that was the name of it. The bit about um, when uh, the dude is in the limousine and the eagles are playing, it's like, oh man, I hate the fucking eagles. Oh, when he's in the cab and the cab yeah. kick, the driver yeah. kicks him out? Yeah. <laughs> I, when he says that, this was... A, a defining moment with uh, one of the uh, managers of the Rolling Stones. They wanted to use a Rolling Stones song at the end of the movie, and the Rolling Stones manager wanted something like 250000 or something like that. Sure. And so the Cone brothers were showing him a rough cut of the movie, and when it got to that moment in the movie, he stands up and he goes, I love it! You can have it! 
Yeah, he gave it to him for free. Because of that line. Man, what did you say? I've had a rough night, and I fucking hate the Eagles. <laughs> the only thing that bothered me, and, and it didn't really bother me until I found this out later, was what you were talking about earlier, that when we meet the Jesus character, and you has the Spanish version of the Eagles playing in the background, I wish we would have known earlier on that Jeff Bridges, that the dude hated the Eagles, because that scene would have made more sense. Oh, I don't know. I didn't didn't okay. take me out of it. Would you have? I mean, just would you have made that correlation uh, the first time watching it? Well, it's funny that you say that because I legitimately do not like the Eagles, and mm-hmm. so when Hotel California came on, I was just like, "Fuck again!" You know, it, you know what I mean. But clearly, it was meant to be because he's the dude's nemesis, and the dude hates the Eagles, and it would make sense that Jesus likes well, it makes, the Eagles. It makes perfect sense to me that you don't like the Eagles, because I do like the Eagles. Well, see, there you go. Yeah. yeah and would, if people don't know this, Don is my nemesis. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. So, yeah. <laughs> I love that scene uh, when he's in the Malibu police station, and the, the police chief, the Malibu, just doesn't fucking like him doesn't care right and he throws his mug at him right and he hits him in the face ah you fascist and he just basically you know he almost like in first blood right because yeah, he kicks ram he kicks rambo out of the town it's exactly what i was gonna say is it reminded me of the interaction between john rambo and that officer yeah, but this one was on a way uh on an elevated uh this was like that on steroids though because mm-hmm. that police chief just didn't like him he doesn't like hippies uh-uh. and so he kicks him out of malibu and i just thought that was kind of a funny scene yeah i just love i love that scene where he what's he throw at him his mug he throws his a coffee, mug at his him. coffee mug yeah. yeah fucking fascist yeah <laughs> the dude returns home to find his bungalow ransacked by treehorns goons he is seduced by maude who hopes to conceive a child but she assures the dude that he will have no paternal liability or involvement in the child's upbringing. She explains that her father has no money of his own and that the family fortune belonged to her late mother, who left none to the father. The dude suddenly realizes the entire scheme. After Bunny left town on an unannounced trip, her nihilist friends faked her kidnapping to extort money from her husband, Lebowski. Lebowski, who hated his wife, withdrew the ransom from the family trust but secretly kept the money for himself, giving the dude a briefcase containing phone books. Walter and the dude confront the big Lebowski, who refuses to admit responsibility. Walter erroneously believes the big Lebowski is faking his paralysis, throws him from his wheelchair, leaving him on the floor. Awkward. Now, this whole thing with Maude and seducing the dude, uh, I love the earlier scene where Maud sends the dude to go to her doctor to have um, his mouth looked at because he had gotten punched in the face. By her. By her. And then he's like, drop your pants. Yeah. That was such an awkward scene. But now, it obviously, it makes sense. He was getting checked out to be make sure he could the conceive baby a daddy. child. Yeah. yeah. And, and did you notice that after he gets out of bed with Juliana Moore, she starts... Uh, like pulling her knees to her chest yep. and starts yep. rolling around. He's yep. like, what are you doing? <laughs> this, in- <laughs> the, uh, what does she say? Uh, you know, this increases the chance of uh, conception. This is exactly what you want to hear after like a one night stand. Oh, yeah. And the dude is a perfect person for Maud to not have the father be anywhere in the picture. Yeah. <laughs> so what does he do after that? Naturally they go bowling. I swear to God, every time, 
something happens or or something goes down or is about to go down back to the bowling alley back to the bowling alley i just i think that's great some of the best scenes in this entire film are in that bowling alley Mm -hmm. a lot of the best dialogue too yeah well i I think the dialogue is solid throughout this entire film that's why the cone brothers picked a bowling alley because a bowling alley is a place that is conversational in general you have light conversations happen all night long during bowling tournaments yeah um and just you know the chemistry between john goodman and jeff bridges um it mm-hmm. it was fantastic mm-hmm. does it work because they're almost polar opposites oh i'm sure i mean you hear you have the dude who so relaxed so calm nothing even you know all these different things keep happening to him and he only freaks out twice in the whole movie walter is so on edge all the time uh except for the the shabbath Saturday, Donnie, is Shabbos, the Jewish day of rest. That means I don't work. I don't drive a car. I don't fucking ride in a car. I don't handle money. I don't turn on the oven. And I sure as shit don't fucking roll. <laughs> okay, so maybe he freaks out on that day too. <laughs> uh, and and uh, the dude has to call him on Shabbos to come get him. Because uh, yeah. he was stranded. Because the cab driver kicked him out. Yeah. And so he he calls Walter to come get him and Walter not listening to what the dude has to say is what do you consider an emergency? Well, do you understand why he wasn't allowed to drive on that day? No, I'm not Jewish. Well, I can explain it to you then. Well, please, by all means, I'm uh, not all ears. I'll say depending on, you know, what sect he's in with Judaism, uh, a lot, I, I assume it's closer to Orthodox. You can't make anything work for you on that day and you can't use power, electricity, things like that. So he technically, if he's following the codes of the religion, he cannot drive on that day. He can be driven, but he cannot start the car and make the car work. So in his home, he wouldn't be able to turn on the lights. He could have someone come in and turn on the lights for him, but he cannot do it himself. So that's why Walter's all pissed off about having to come and do this. But the interesting thing is, is Walter converted for his wife. Ex-wife. who then left him. But he's still, you get the impression from where he talks with the dude, he's waiting for her to come back. Yeah, I mean, he takes care of her dog while she goes <laughs> off with her boyfriend. Right, yeah. And, right, right. Yeah. So he, he's this big, mean, tough guy, but deep down is kind of a softy. Yeah. And then <laughs> when they go finally to confront Lebowski, because that's where they go, because he figures it out. He has an epiphany, right? The mm-hmm. dude comes through. Uh, <laughs> He goes in there and he starts going off on uh, the big Lebowski and the big Lebowski is like, so who's going to believe you over me? Who's going to believe I stole the money and not some hippie kid? He's just pissed that Bunny came back Mm -hmm. because she she owes all this money all over town and she's probably a strain on him and... Uh, so he's just pissed that she came back and, and Walter being Walter and you kind of have to see this coming at some point because Walter is so over the, over the edge. Right. I mean, he, he pulled a gun on someone because he thought he stepped over the line when they were bowling. Mm-hmm. Uh, naturally he's going to think that the big Lebowski is faking his paralysis. And I love how he just picks him up and drops him and he just drops to the floor and the big Lebowski starts crying and and the dude being the dude looks at Walter and he says, you got to help me pick him up. We got to put him back in his chair. Right. 
Thinking the ordeal is over, the dude and his friends return to the bowling alley only to be confronted by the nihilists who have set fire to the dude's car and are demanding the ransom money. Learning there never was any money, the nihilists decided to rob them, but Walter violently fends them off. During the scuffle, Donnie suffers a heart attack and dies. What do you think of this fight scene? Oh, I thought it was hilarious. The, the best thing about this fight scene, and I've seen other people cover this fight scene is that when people choreograph a fight scene, usually get either martial arts or you get some really good haymakers thrown, some good punches. This was like a slap fest, one of the worst fights. This is what you'd expect to see an actual real fight in a bowling alley parking lot. Oh yeah. And you know what I liked best about this? And, and it's, it's a very, it's a very subtle thing. Uh, when they're having their confrontation and the nihilists are threatening our three, our three guys, uh, Donnie is terrified, but Walter is so protective of him. Even though every other time we see Donnie and Walter, he's shut the fuck up, Donnie, or you're out of your element, right? He, he, he just tells Donnie to fuck off really. But when it counts, he, he he's very, very protective. Well, the funny thing I thought too, in this scene was the nihilists, you know, the dude tells him there's no money. There was never any money. So the Nihilist is like, well, then give us your money. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Walter's like, no, I'm going to fight. And you can see in the background, the dude and uh, Donnie I, are going through their wallets, getting all the money. I got $4. Out. I got $4. You know, I got to. <laughs> and Donnie's like, I got, I got 18. And he's like, no, no, we're not giving him anything. And, and you know, Walter's about to bang some heads, right? And you're right. It was such a, just a scrappy. I mean, uh, I love Walter biting off the ear and spinning it up and the camera oh, follows yeah. it, right? Mm-hmm. So we see the ear in the, in the, the ear. ear in the air. And then the dude and that other dude. The other German guy. Yeah, or having a uh, slap fight because Walter took his bowling ball and hit oh, flea in the chest. <laughs> yeah. And what a, I mean, you can't have a better weapon than a bowling ball for a bowler, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, that yeah. was great. Uh, and then Donnie dying, I, I that, that kind of just snapped you right back into it. I didn't see it. that coming. I didn't see it coming either the first time I saw it. Me neither. Yeah. And then you hear uh, Walter get very serious. He's, he, you know, he's holding on to him. He tells the dude to go call 911. So the uh, the protective reason that I believe that you have Walter being like that for Donnie is because Donnie is one of them. And because he's one of them, Walter will protect him to the end. But he can diss and be critical of Donnie, but nobody else can. But the interesting thing that when I first, I think it was like the second time I saw this movie, which was just couple days ago uh was my thought was why kill donnie now you know we've pretty much gotten to the end of the movie everything's pretty much been resolved what does it add to the story but then in the dv or the blu-ray extras of lebowski the coen brothers say it's not about the plot of the movie it was never about the plot of the movie they didn't even care about the plot of the movie it was always about the characters and the character interactions. Mm-hmm. So it didn't matter that there was this big detective story going on throughout the whole movie that you had to solve the whodunit and all that. It was always about how the characters interacted. So it made a little bit more sense of this whole Donnie scene. I bought it as part of the story. And so, and because the characters were written the way they were written, because they were cast the way they, they were cast, I was all aboard. Did you sure. not think that the movie was going to end with them either winning or losing the tournament rather than Donnie just up and dying. No, no, no. I, I accepted. And at that point, I, th- I, th- I don't know what I was expecting. You know, I don't even remember the first time I've watched it. 
uh, I know I've seen it a bunch of times. I know, I know the lines. I know, you know, he's the dude, the dude abides. Um, yeah, I was never expecting it to culminate into uh, the bowling tournament at all. Yeah, mm. no. And uh, my thought was, now they're a man down. Mm-hmm. So now they need another man for their bowling tournament. Uh, but it didn't surprise me that we never got a resolution to that. And I'm, I'm kind of glad we didn't get a resolution to that because we didn't need it. It didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't further us uh, in the story that was being told. That's exactly what the Coen brothers expressed, is that there wasn't supposed to be a resolution in this movie. Yeah, it just, it just ends, mm-hmm. right? While preparing to scatter Donnie's ashes on an oceanside bluff, using a coffee can to hold the ashes, Walter delivers an informal eulogy that turns into a speech about the Vietnam War. Unmindful of the wind blowing, he scatters Donnie's ashes over himself and the dude, who, all patients finally exasperated, complains bitterly at Walter. They reconcile and embrace. Later, in the bowling alley, the dude briefly encounters the film's cowboy narrator, billed as The Stranger, who tells the audience that Maude is pregnant with a little Lebowski, the cowboy wishes the dude and Walter good luck in their bowling tournament, and speaking directly to the camera, offers that we may all take comfort in knowing that the dude abides. So I love the scene when they're talking to the mortuary. Oh, yeah. Right? He's all... What's this line? How much? Well, this is our most modest urn, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Can we rent it? It's like we're (laughs) spreading the ashes. What? That's a good question. If you're spreading the ashes, what do you need an expensive urn for? Well, that's... that's why Walter goes, is there's a Ralph's close? Because <laughs> he went and he bought coffee to dump out the coffee and put Donnie into a coffee can. Because you're right, they were going to spread them. And then when he spreads the ashes, uh, the dude's reaction is just so classic. He's just so mellow. He just, he just He's all, fucking Walter. <laughs> now, the, the Walter's eulogy and how it kind of turns into this, your rant about Vietnam and all that. There was a part in the script that they cut out that was going to have the dude turn to Walter and say, Walter, you weren't even in the Vietnam War. Would that have done anything for you? No. Mm -mm. To have that revelation? Wouldn't have added a little bit of humor that he acts like this, you know, veteran of the Vietnam War and never was actually in it? I think that if it was in the movie at the time when you're watching it, you, you might find it funny or I, I can see why they didn't put it in there. Yeah. They felt that I think it wasn't needed, which is why it wasn't in there. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, cause after all the shit that Walter puts the dude through and even at this moment when he's wearing Donnie, uh, <laughs> I like how you put that wearing Donnie. Uh, he, I mean, they hug and he embraces him and Walter just kind of becomes human at that moment. And that was their, that was their grieving moment. And what did, and then uh, Walter says, all right, fuck it. Let's go bowling. And here we are back at the bowling alley, mm-hmm. right? And then we see uh, the cowboy, uh, the wonderful Sam Elliott. What did you think of his two scenes? His narrator? Him being the narrator? Yeah, because he was in the earlier bar scene, and then he was in this end bar scene. Well, and he also has the voiceover at yeah. the very beginning. To start a movie with a narrator tells us that he's, that this is going to be from his point of view. In, in this particular instance, it was a nice touch, because uh, Sam Elliott could read The Cat in the Hat, and it would sound cool. That's why the Coen brothers cast him because yeah. they love the sound of his voice. And the other part that they enjoyed so much about him is that big old bushy mustache of his. It allows the lips to not necessarily be seen. So if they want to fudge a little bit on the audio editing, no big deal. 
I guess uh, in the Coen Brothers movies, they do a lot of ones where they do starting with uh, narration. Like Raising Arizona, I guess, started with some narration. Uh, 2018, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs mm-hmm. on Netflix. Doesn't narration? Uh, oh, brother starts with nar- narration. I Isn't it the so guy? Too, is, it, it's the guy on the railroad. Yeah, he's your narrator. Now, do you think Sam Elliott's character, the stranger? Do you think he has any extra representation or symbolism? Some people have compared him to be God in the, did in they, the movie. Those people, did they actually listen to his lines? I know. He talks about he's never been to certain places in his life. and He's never been to France. God may never have been to France. It doesn't, it doesn't I mean, mean pe- anything to you. No, because he was the narrator. He was meant to be the narrator. People love to read into things, and and that's what's great about movies and the, and how they can go in and look for themes and and they can look for symbols and then, they can take anything away they really want. And someone sat down and thought, well, maybe he is kind of like a god character. Why? Why is he a god character? Well, why does he know so much about the dude? Because he's our narrator. He's yeah. telling us the story. What do you think? I think he is a little bit more on a spiritual plane. In that they, that's the way they cast him. It's why they call him the stranger. But that's not what the Coen brothers said. What did they say? They said they just cast him because they like his voice. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if you want to think he was God, good for you. If it makes you enjoy the film anymore, good for you. It, but it, it wasn't. It honestly didn't matter either way to me in the enjoyment. Question. Favorite scene or a favorite character? My favorite scene I already said earlier, which is... Gutter the, bowls? The, tutter, the toilet bowl scene. Oh, right. What about you? Favorite character's got to be the effortless, the dude. Oh, yeah. Hands down. Cone Brothers said that they didn't have to do any directing of him. That was all Jeff. And he did it all on his own. Yeah, without a doubt. Favorite character he is was the perfect dude. casting. Uh, close second, though, I think, is Walter. Absolutely. What was your favorite scene, though, Ken? Uh, one of the first things I always think about is gutter balls. That is uh, an iconic moment. And I, I love the passion that uh, Jeff Bridges brings to that whole thing. It is hilarious, the big scaleness of it, because mm-hmm. it is so the opposite of him in his dreary little life. Yeah. I think my favorite scene is probably uh, the ferret, because that, <laughs> look, he's laughing right now. Uh, Every time. Yeah. Or, um, you know, any, any of the bowling alley scenes are, is just magic. Uh, did you notice that uh, Donnie, his last bowl, a nine. He rolls, is it a spare that he gets? No, because he leaves one up. He oh. never goes back and finishes his frame. Mm-hmm. But he sits down like his turn is over, which would imply that he threw a gutter ball the first time. When he rolls that nine, uh, the look on his face is of great concern, and it's perhaps maybe foreshadowing his heart attack. Right? Yeah. Maybe he knows something bad is going to happen. It's the only time in the movie that you don't see him throw a strike. Exactly. Exactly. And he sits down like his turn is over. So, I don't know. Take yeah, that maybe you're right. Well. Maybe, turn- maybe they're all in heaven and Sam Elliott is just kind of looking down on him as his children. No. And on that, good night. All right. So, that is The Big Lebowski as a film. Uh, Rating? How do we do our ratings, Don? Uh, we do our ratings on a scale from one to five, five being the best, uh, one being the worst. Now, how we rate is if our movie is on and we're flipping through channels, is it something that we would stop and watch for a long period of time, for a short period of time, or would we just pass over it? 
Well, I think since it was Ken's pick, he should go first. Okay. Well, I got to say, it is a very rich movie. I enjoy the, the dialogue. It just crackles with um, the characters and the effortlessness that is done with our main characters. It is a lot of fun to watch, and the eclecticness and the uniqueness of each one of these characters makes for good storytelling. I give this a solid four. All right, John. My turn? Yep. Okay. Now, I already have a rating in my head, but if I go by our last podcast, when we were rating the fl- or rating Flash Gordon, I was told by one person, or if you listen to that podcast, you would hear, Don said that if you can't, like if there's no story, relatable story that you can get into, and the story doesn't make any sense, he'd have to give it a bad rating or have to give it a lower rating. And the Coen brothers even said, this story doesn't make any sense. It's not meant to make sense. It's supposed to be a story without a plot. And then, Ken, I believe you said that you can't really get, you know, if you don't understand what the point of the movie was, like, for example, Flash Gordon was supposed to be a 1930s comic book strip, that if you don't know that ahead of time, that it's hard to give it a good review. It's hard to give it a higher rating because it didn't make sense. I don't know if I would say that it's because of that. It's more to the point of good storytelling. Yeah. So... Normally, based off of those two things, I would want to give it a lower rating. But to be honest, this movie works. This movie was, the way that it was designed, again, when I watched it the first time, didn't make much sense to me because I was trying to absorb the plot. I was trying to figure out, okay, how does this all work? Or am I watching you know, a detective story? Am I watching just a comedy? Am I watching uh, you know, almost the Three Stooges? What am I watching here? And so I was so trying to, to understand the plot of the first time, you know, watching it through, that it ruined the movie for me. And to be honest, didn't like it the first time I saw it. Then I just went back again and saw it for the second time. But this time, I was just absorbing the fact that there was no point to this movie, that it was just, you know, the, looking for the key lines and the key things and the ferret in the bathtub and, you know, the fact that, you know, they use Amy Mann as the person who gets her coat, her toe cut off, which was used to be in one of my favorite bands till Tuesday. You ever hear the song voices carry? Oh yeah. Used to be one of my, the fact that just she pops into it somewhere and you know, little things like that. I'm going to agree with Ken. I'm going to give it a four. Nice. Just because again, the movie worked for me. Nice. So that whole bit before you gave us your uh, pure bitterness. So it was, so it was kind of like flash Gordon. Pointless. Oh, there you um, go. <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> sorry, John. No, it, I'm used to it. I'm used to it, Walter. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Donnie. All right. So my turn. The Big Lebowski, I thought, uh, was brilliantly written. Uh, it was perfectly cast, and everything just kind of played out the way it was supposed to. Uh, the comedic beats worked. The soundtrack was unique and kind of uh, all over the place, a little here, a little there. And the fact that the dude shares my uh, hatred for the Eagles is always a plus. But as far as a movie and storytelling, I think The Big Lebowski is probably one of the funniest movies out there. Probably in my top five of funniest movies ever made. Mm. Uh, So I'm going to give it a 4.5 because if I'm flipping through channels and I see that it's on, 
I'll stop on it and I will wait for any of the lines that come up because there's so many quotable lines and I could watch Jeff Bridges be the dude all day long. Well, let me ask you this. There's two versions of this movie out there. There's the kind you will see on the cable channels, on the, the movie channels, and there's the Comedy Central version that they took out all the swears and made it like PG rated. Mm-hmm. Which one would you stop and watch? Or would you watch them both? I'd watch them both. Okay. Because I know where the swears are and in my head they're saying it and that makes it funny to me. Okay. So yeah, 4.5 for me. All right. So are we at the point where we're going to pick our next film? I believe so. We need to get the helmet. All right. So if you're keeping score out there, which you're probably not, we each put five movies into a Bronco helmet. And at the end of every podcast, we dip in and pull a movie. So far, we have listened or we have reviewed to all five of mine. Uh, This was Ken's fourth. So he has one more in the helmet. And John has four left in the helmet as we've only reviewed one of his movies so far. All right. So the movie that we're going to review next week is... The 2008 Academy Award winning The Dark Knight. Thanks for joining us tonight. You've been listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. John, where can they find us? On the web, they can find us at threeguysinaflick.com. They can also find us at Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and other podcast sources. I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. And we will see you guys next time.